funds, Lord, because of drugs and because of alcohol, because of one night out partying that turned into the last night of their lives, Lord. But here we are in your house, Lord, serving you, seeking you, believing that you have more for us than just one night, but an eternity of joy, Lord. We ask that you would have your way in this service. We ask that you would have your way in this year, Lord God, that it would truly be a moment of change and uh, transformation in our lives, Lord God. That it would be something that we would look back on, and every year has been good, and we grow in you, Lord, but we would look back possibly and say 2017 was a year, Lord, of first. It was a year of new beginnings, Lord God. It was a year of things being brought to completion. It was a year that we didn't bring old things into a new year, Lord God. Your word says, you said it yourself, that you can make all things new. This morning as we're here in the church, Lord, we reach out our leprous hand to you and we ask if you're willing. Are you willing to do something again for us, God? Are you willing to heal us? Are you willing to encourage us? Are you willing to strengthen us? Teach us something, Lord. Show us something. Fill us with your spirit. And we pray, Lord, we believe that we'll hear you speak into our lives. I am willing. So have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this morning, when I talk about continuing, it says that Barnabas got there and he said, hey, listen, you guys need to continue in what you're doing. Uh, we're going to continue our I Am series, but we're also going to bring it to completion. You know, a post has been coming up every Saturday before the series, but I wanted to, I wanted to wait this time until I saw your beautiful faces here to tell you what you're going to be listening to and, and learning about this morning. We've been in this series now for a while, uh, so we're going to continue, and like I said, though, if you haven't brought anything to completion, guess what? 2017, day one, you get to complete something. The goal of our series, we said, was what? To prepare a place for a newborn, to prepare a place for Christ. For the whole month of December, and then obviously today, the first service of January, we've been looking at this I Am series and all the things that God has said, right? We started with the seven I Am statements of the, the Gospel of John, which we didn't really get into, but we just mentioned them. I want to mention them to you again. Because when people ask you about maybe an I Am series or if you get in the app and you share the message with somebody, right, this is what they're thinking about. These seven statements that Jesus made in the book of John, the gospel of John. In John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7 and verse 9, he said, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10 and 11 and verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, 1 and 5, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Man, he's good, isn't he? You should spend some time thinking about those statements, not just what he said, but what it means to you. If he says that I'm the good shepherd, man, you might want to be shepherded by him, amen? Right? If he says that I'm the way, you might want to find him so you can know your way. Amen? If he says that I'm the bread of life, you might want to find him so that you can receive sustenance in your life. Another series for another time, maybe. In our series that we looked at, in our I Am series, the first thing we saw, and the picture's up for you, it says, I am coming. Right? He says, I am coming. Something's going to be birthed. You're pregnant. Hopefully some of you in 2017, right, something's birthed. <laughs> Something that wasn't, there was, that wasn't there before is there now. Where there was no life, there will be life, right? Where there was no joy, there will be joy. Where maybe you knew you were pregnant and God wanted to do something, but the pain was too much, right? You were looking for some relief, an epidural, something. Amen? But once that labor pains are done, you have this child, and no matter how much pain you went through, the Bible says that for the joy of having that child, you forget all the pain of the labor and the pregnancy, right? So he said, I'm coming. I want to birth something into your life. In our second week, he said, I'm aware. I'm aware. Many of us, myself included, we find ourselves trying to communicate to people what we're going through. You know why? Because we want them to be aware of how hard it is and how much it hurts, <laughs> how long it's been going on this way, and how somebody needs to be aware of what's going on in my house and how this man acts or how this woman acts or how these kids act or what our bills look like or how much debt we're in. We want people to be aware because we're looking for them to be able to either sympathize or empathize with us or we're looking for them to be able to impact us, right? Give me some help. Give me some counseling. Give me a few dollars. Help me. Jesus says, I am aware. If you were focused on me being aware and understanding how aware I am, you wouldn't be concerned with who else knows what's going on. I'm the only one that can do anything for you. Nobody can do what I can do. 
You can't reach out your leprous hand to anybody else but me if you really want it to be healed. The best somebody else can do is put a little uh, ointment on it for you. And that's why in week three we saw him say, I am able, right? We went from I'm coming and I'm aware to I'm able. Do you really want to be healed or you just want to be heard? Whew. Another message. Somebody take some notes. Remind me of this stuff. Do you want to be healed or do you want to be heard? <laughs> How many times have you told your story? How many times have I heard your story? How many times have you posted it on Facebook? Do you really want to be healed or you just want to be heard? There's always somebody else to hear, right? A new person comes into church and many people look at him, oh, yeah, they got ears that haven't heard yet. <laughs> Everybody else is tired of hearing my story, but they haven't heard it, so yeah. I want to be heard. No, I want to be healed. <laughs> And in the last one we saw, Christmas Day, he said, I am here. The manger is here for a reason. I'm here. I've arrived. Everything that I promised you is now available, right? The Bible talks about it. Read some of the Old Testament scriptures where it says that, the, where we get the idea of purgatory, right? It says that there's a great goal fixed, that Abraham was there and, the, and uh, the, the poor man, Lazarus, was in his bosom. And it says that they were looking at these other dudes and they were over there burning and crying and they're saying, you got to help me, help my family, give me water, the reason why they were there is because the one who says, I am here, was not here yet. So the entrance and the open, what did he say? I am the door of the sheep. The door wasn't open yet because he hadn't come and died yet. So all those who died in hope and died in faith could not be entered in or ushered in yet, right? But then he says, on Christmas, I'm here. Those who have died before my coming who are waiting for me, I'm here. Those who will come in the future and die in hope and in faith, I'm here. No more waiting, all right? So how do you go on from there? I told you this morning we're going to keep going with the series. How do you go from there if he says, I'm here? He should have pretty much uh, rolled the credits after that one, right? Let's just finish 2016. I'm here. When we started this series, I thought a lot about the church. Say the church. And I was probably more excited about this message than any of the messages in this five-week series. I thought about this one first. I've been thinking about it ever since. I've been anticipating getting to this point, and I've been excited for a couple reasons. One is because I knew that on New Year's Day, we would probably have more of a core group of people. But after Christmas service, it doesn't surprise me that the core is bigger than many of us might think, right? <laughs> people show up on Christmas. People show up on New Year's Day. Uh, my eyes need to be open to who really wants the Lord, right? When you think it's just a, a, maybe a small percentage, I think our church is special in many ways. They say that in most churches, 10% of the people do 90% of the giving, right? 10% of the people do 90% of the labor. In this church, the percentage is greater than that, I'll be honest with you. People love to be here. People love to serve. People love to, to help in this church, right? I thought about the church and how many of us feel like, though, that the church is the only place of peace and happiness and hope in our lives. There's a lot of us that our lives are just crazy. And for whatever reason, when we come to church, we find peace, we find hope, we find happiness. It's often the best two hours of our whole week because we forget about our burdens, we forget about our drama, we forget about the, the wants and needs that we have that aren't being met, and we just come and we worship God. And he reminds us what? I'm here, I'm able, I know, I'm aware, I'm coming, right? He reminds us of that stuff for these two hours, and it's just the best. If you're not there right now, believe me, either you have been in the past or you will be in the future. I remember what it was like when I first got saved, and it was literally the only safe place for me. The only place where I could get out of my own mind and out of my own drama and actually have some hope and some joy. And I hated leaving. I'd show up early and I'd leave late, not just because I liked church, but it was because it was the only place that was good for me. And we go through cycles and seasons of that, hopefully, where we're reminded that this is a good place, that this is a place of health and of hope and of joy, right? So here's the question. What's the difference about the church than everything else in your life, right? What is it specifically that makes the church that place of hope and of joy, right, and of uh, anticipation and of peace and of stability and everything else in our life being chaotic and drama and difficult and, and frustrating and confusing. Why is it such a contrast between the two? Wouldn't you think 
that they would, they would slowly but surely maybe start to, that line that divides the rest of your life from your church life, wouldn't that line begin to disappear? Why is it still so dramatic in many of our lives? Why is it still such a contrast between these two hours of the day and the other 22 hours of your day? I have a list, and if you're a note taker, pen, paper, app, whatever, you might want to take some notes on this one. I have a list of uh, some things that are specific about the church that may be the difference in why the rest of our lives feel and look the way that they do. Number one, the church is set up for worship. Worship, excuse me, is not an accident. Worship is not an afterthought when it comes to church. Worship is the goal. Worship is the priority. Worship is number one. We don't do anything else before we worship. We don't meet and greet. We don't preach the word. We don't take care of the kids. We don't do anything before we worship. Why? Because the church is set up for worship. Is your life set up for worship? Contrast. The church is clean. Look around. The church is clean. We have a cleaning crew. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to tell you who they are. Jen, she's sitting right here in the second row. However, <laughs> more than just the, the cleanliness, right, of having somebody who leads that ministry, I really want you to think about what it means to be clean. Nothing hidden in the closet. Nothing hidden under the seats, under the bed. Right? Is your life clean? Is it clean? Is it organized? Right? Are there things that are hidden? Things that are thrown in a closet? Things that you just don't really take the time to make sure they're as they should be. The church is different. The church is clean. The church is also, number three, focused. When we come into this place, we have a plan. We have a vision. We have a direction. We have something that we're trying to accomplish every single day, every single service. When you wake up tomorrow, are you focused on something? What are you focused on? What are you trying to accomplish? I was telling my wife on the way to church this morning, I said I was sharing with a couple of the men something I do every Monday morning on my way to work. I write myself an email, and then I email it to myself with the things that I need to get accomplished that day and that week. And then when I get to work, I print it out and I leave it on my desk so that I can look at the things that I look at them and I say, I can get this one completed today. And by the end of the week, I need to make sure I have them all completed. Why? Because I'm focused. I can't just go through a week. I need to go through a week with some goals and something that I have to actually get done. In the church, that's how it is. We don't just come in here to come in here. We want to teach these kids something. We want to learn how to worship. We want to identify what the word of God is trying to reveal to us and make sure that that word goes out to people. Is your life a life of focus? Do you have a checklist for this upcoming week, for the upcoming month? of what you would like to see get accomplished. How do you expect to get it accomplished if there's no focus? The church is focused. Number four, the church is strategic. It's one thing to be focused on things that you wanna get done, it's also another thing to be wise and strategic about how you go about accomplishing it, right? You can wanna do a lot of things, you can be focused on seeing them happen, but if you don't have a strategy, chances are you will not see those things come to fruition or be completed in your life. You need a strategy. You need somebody to get together with and have strategic meetings. How are we going to do this for the kids? We want to teach them. How do we do that? How do we educate teachers? How do we help teachers who are in the church who were not trained to be teachers in the world? They don't work for schools. They're average everyday men and women that come into this church, were cleansed and touched and healed by God, and now God says, we could really use you in the church to help these kids learn something. You better have a strategy. You could pray all you want and say, God, I just hope it happens. I hope it happens. I hope it happens. But you know what? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> you need a strategy. The church has strategy. Do you have strategy? Do you have strategic meetings? Do you sit down with a group of people and say, here's what I want to see in my life next week, next month, this year of 2017? Can you help me with a strategy of things that I need to do, people I need from help, help from? Can you help me build a strategy for my life this, this year? Contrast, right? The church, our lives. Number five, the church is restrained by the word of God. <laughs> That's a big one. See, 
In the church, it's the word of God that restrains us. We don't go further than the word of God, and we don't stop short of the word of God. If we're going to do something, we're restrained by the parameters of the word of God. We can't just do things because we want to or because we like to or because we like you and we want to use. No, no, no. We're restrained by what the word of God says about how things should be done and how things should not be done. Right? In the world, what we see is a world of people performing and doing actions that are not restrained by the word of God. It's by their own word or their own understanding or their own desires. So are you more like the world in the rest of your life or are you more like the church in the rest of your life? Do you restrain yourself by the word of God, what you do and don't do, where you do go and where you don't go? What you allow and what you don't allow? Who comes into your house and who doesn't come into your house? Who's in the phone and who's not in the phone? Where you spend your money and where you don't spend your money? Are you restrained by the word of God in your life? The church is. And you wonder again, the contrast, why do you feel the way you feel at church? Why is there peace for you at church? Why is there hope when you come into this place? Why do you keep seeing people added? Remember that's what that, uh, Barnabas said, him and Paul, that people kept being added because it was a place of hope, place of uh, focus on worship, clean, focused, strategic, restrained by the word of God. Number six, the church is built on love. What is your life built on outside of church? When we do meet and greet after, after worship, I know many of you because you've told me you feel real love. Even when you're new here, you feel like, man, these people really actually like me. They want to know me. They want to know my name. They're looking for me. They're hugging me. I remember when I first got saved, it was awkward. It was weird. It's like, stop hugging me. I don't know you. I just got here. There's only like 10 of us too, so it's not like you can avoid them. Like you try to sit there and not do anything, but it's like, hey, bro, we see you. There's only nine other people here. Get up. Say hello to somebody. But then it starts to grow on you. You start to look forward to it. You know why? My wife and I were talking about this. We were specifically talking about the kids. But you know that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of adults that you go all week without hugging anybody, and this is the only place you get that? You know that there's a lot of kids that are upstairs that go all through their school week and all through their school year without somebody telling them, you know what? You're special. You're a good student. I, I love what you did here. Why don't you get up on stage and, and show everybody? Why don't you sing and use your voice? You know that they'll go through their whole school year and they'll go through their whole uh, um, grade school without ever hearing that, but they'll hear it here in the church? You know why? Because this place is built on love. Now, I don't know how much impact you will be able to have on the school system, but I can tell you this, the kids will know if your life is built on love or not. Is it just two hours here or is your life built on love? Contrast between your life and the church why you feel the way you feel here, and why you don't feel that way oftentimes at home. Number seven is a big one. The church requires service. <laughs> there is no church without service. There is no church without laborers. There is no church without people saying, I will serve, I will clean, I will teach, I will outreach, I will practice and worship, I will study the word of God and share it, right? Service is part of the church. It's not like, you can kind of have it if you want to, and some churches have it. No, every church that belongs to Jesus Christ is a church of service. You know why? Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. It's built in. It's ingrained. If you're a Christian, you should be a servant. In your life, are you serving people? Are you just as willing, and this one might be a little bit of a shot to those of you who are in ministry, are you just as willing to serve outside of the church as you are in the church? Because I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier for me to serve in the church than it is out of the church. I love serving you guys. I love reading the word and, and presenting it to you. I love counseling and discipling. But you know what I find myself doing out in the world? I ain't got time for you guys. I got a church to serve. You know what Jesus did? The direct opposite. I ain't got time for the church. I got a world to serve. <laughs> it's crazy. And if you want to know why there's a contrast between your life and how you feel in church, are you serving? Are you serving? Last one I have on, on my list for today is the church values people. I guess it kind of goes with number seven, with servitude. Right? In your life, outside of church, what is the highest value that you, that you have? Is it the people around you and the relationships you have or the things you're trying to acquire? Is it your money? Is it your house? Is it your car? Is it your time? Is it the certain people that you would like to spend your time with? Or do people always have the highest level of value? In the church, 
The reason why things are the way that they are is because we value people here. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter if, you're, if your arms are clean or tattooed. It doesn't matter if you're on your first or fifth marriage. It doesn't matter. You're valuable in the kingdom of God. And when you come into the church of God, what you hear is you matter. You matter. You matter. The reason you feel the way you feel in church is because of many of these principles, right? The reason we don't feel this way outside of church and we can't wait, many of us, to get back to that two hours on a Wednesday or those two hours on a Sunday is because we don't have these things set up in our normal lives. But we need to. Somebody say amen. So the question is, what's the difference between the church and everything else in your life? Is it possible that this is the only place of peace, the only place of refuge, because the rest of our lives are just prioritized so much differently? They're built so much differently. Our first word from the Lord, I believe with all my heart, for 2017 is this. You need to realize that you are the church and your life should be built like the church. It's the first word for 2017. You are the church. Your life needs to be built like the church is built. You don't go to church you don't come to church. You are the church. You have to build your life the same way that the church is built. Those lists of things that I just gave you, you don't turn those on and off. You don't, you don't enjoy those and embrace those when you come into this building. They become part of you, and you live your life the same way you live in the church. Say that with me. Say, I am the church. Say it like you mean it. I am the church. One more time, I see lips not moving. I am the church. I ain't going to make you say it again yet, but be prepared because some of you, some of your churches are weak. <laughs> some of you had like about it, about it church right now. I am the church. And others are like, I'm the church. Like, I ain't going to your church then. <laughs> I am the church. Come to my church. I am the church. <laughs> Have a church that you want to go to. It's your church. So week number five of our series, the title of the message this morning is, I am the church. I am the church. So you can see here in the picture, we look at Jesus as the king. We look at Jesus as like, man, you're, you're everything and I love you and I, that's why I love to come into your church and look at how I feel. And you know what he says? You're the church. Don't look at yourself like a pawn. Look at yourself like a king or a queen. You are the church. The feeling you get when you come into this place should be the feeling you take with you when you leave this place. The feeling you get when you come into this place should be the feeling that other people feel when they're in your presence. Why? Because I am the church and you are the church. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. Jesus is ascending into heaven the disciples are there witnessing, and these angels come down to speak to him. Acts 1.11 says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. They're standing there. You know what they're saying to themselves? <laughs> there goes the church. <laughs> right? There goes the church. What are we going to do? The angels are like, stop looking. The same way he went, he's coming back. When God looks at time, say time. As far as it is associated with you and I, we, hopefully we've learned that God is bigger than time. God is outside of time. God created time so that in our minds we're able to uh, understand certain things and seasons, but he's outside of time. The Bible says like a thousand years is a blink of an eye or a breath to him, right? It's, it's forever for us. But when he looks at time as far as it's associated with you and I, he looks at it in ages. Say ages. So one age would be the age of Adam and Eve, right, in the garden, the, the age of the garden, where they were walking with God, they were without sin, they were naked and not ashamed, right? That was an age and a season and a time of life on earth, men and women on earth, right? That was an age. Then you have the lost age. They entered into sin, and when you read the Old Testament, it went on for a long time where men and women were far from God. Cain killed Abel. There was all these things going on. They built the Tower of Babel. They were far from God. That was an age. 
Then you have the age of the nation of Israel. God calls out a people through Abraham and says, I'm going to have a people. I'm going to have a nation. And there's this age of the nation of Israel. Then you have the age of Emmanuel. What is Emmanuel? Praise the Lord. We were here last Sunday, Christmas service. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We have an age of about 33 years where God was in the flesh, literally walking the planet with us. What an amazing age, right? We think that that might be the best age, but you know what Jesus said? He said, you believe because you've seen. He said, more blessed are those who believe who haven't seen me. So even though it was an amazing age, he himself says that this age is better. <laughs> so you have the age of Emmanuel, and then from this moment in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where it says, this same Jesus who went up into heaven will in like, like manner come back to you, right? From that point on, we've entered the age of the church. You've entered into the age of the church, where he goes and he says, I will send my spirit. <clears throat> God didn't roll the credits after I am here, right, the age of Emmanuel. In many ways, the story was just getting started, right? Read the Bible. After Jesus ascends into heaven, the story literally is just getting started with the things that are about to happen, what the disciples are going to do, how they change the world. I am here was not the end of the story. It was literally just the beginning. How many of you have realized the moment you found Jesus, you gave your life to him, you asked for forgiveness of your sin, was that the end of the story or was the story just getting started? It was just getting started, right? For many of us, it got a lot harder before it got any easier. Still, it's just the beginning of the story. Matthew 28, 18. 28, 18 says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're in the age of the church, and he told us what to do, and he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. It's not going to be a seasonal thing. Until the age of the church is done, I'm with you. It looks like I've left and I've gone and I've abandoned you, but I have not left. I have not gone. I have not abandoned you for sure. I'm with you till the end of this age of the church. So I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I've seen them all and I own them all. So I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> why have you seen them all? Why do you own them all if you're, if you're not a huge fan? But I... I like <clears throat> something about them. They have the originals, right? Are any of you Star Wars fans? There's like a few of us. All right. See, I just flipped on you right now. I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but I like them. So they have the original, the old school ones. I think they're from like the 70s, right? 70s, 80s, something like that. Then they made the three prequels. And a lot of Star Wars fans, they don't like them or whatever. I don't care. I mean, they're, they're okay. But you have the originals and then the prequels. What is a prequel? It goes before, right? So they made these three movies in the late 90s, early 2000s that were prequels to the old ones. So it happened before the old school movies. Then they just made last year this one called The Force Awakens, right? And that one is a future from the originals, right? So they started with the originals. Then they had a prequel from before that. Then last year they made a new one that happens in the future, right? And then the latest one that they just released, which is now my favorite, I went to see it, I really enjoyed it, except for the few minutes I fell asleep. <laughs> the latest one is called Rogue One, and do you know where this movie lies in the chain? If you have the originals, and you have the prequels, and then you have the future, where does Rogue One come in? All right, well, the originals are the middle, aren't they? It comes in between the prequels and the originals, right? And I thought this was really interesting because I saw a post on Facebook and they said this, if you don't understand what time frame these movies come out, then you will miss the whole story, right? And they said this, people were asking, why didn't we see the stars of The Force Awakens? Why didn't we see BB-8? My little boy got a little BB-8 like little toy, you know, the one that rolls around the ground that you don't understand how it works, I'm just watching it anyway. They're like, why don't you see these people in the movie? They're like, you don't understand. The one with, with BB-8 and all those people, that's in the future. This one is before or in between the prequels and the originals, which means you're not going to see stuff from the future in this movie. You need to know what? What age the movie is in. If you don't know what age the movie you're watching is in, nothing else is going to make sense. 
You're going to be looking for things that don't exist. You're going to be expecting things that will not happen. If you don't know that you're in the age of the church, you'll be confused because you'll be looking for things that are not here and you'll be expecting things to happen that will not happen. You will not be experiencing the things that Jesus says will happen because you don't know what age you're in. So I am the church. What does it mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, we all, say we. We all with unveiled face. When you get married, you have a veil on, right? And what does it mean when you are unveiled? <laughs> well, you're at the very end, right? You're like at that cusp. The veil comes up, you are fully exposed. There is no longer a barrier between you and your bride or you and your spouse, right? Your husband. So listen to this scripture again. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, which is you and I, if you're part of this age, with unveiled face, are beholding as in a mirror. Remember the picture? I'll show you in a second. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can you put the picture back up for, for our message today? And I'm going to read it again. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. We are the church. I am the church. You are the church. If you know what age you are in, you are being transformed into the image of the king. You are unveiled and beholding in a mirror. But what do you see? What age are you living in? <laughs> Is this a prequel? Is it an original is it a future? Is it somewhere in between? Do you really know? Are you trying to look in the mirror and see Christ being transformed, you being transformed into Christ? Because if you're looking for something else, you're in the wrong age. If you desire something else, you're in the wrong age. We're in the age of the church, and this is what he says. We are going from being a pawn of the devil to being clones of the king. We are one with the Lord. Why? We are not a pawn of the devil any longer. We are a clone of the king. He is in us. We love him. He loves us. He is filling us with his spirit. If that's the age you're living in. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 puts it like this. And you, say me. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. What that portion of scripture means is this. Every single one of us used to be a pawn of the devil. He has power on this earth and we just did what he wanted us to do when he wanted us to do it. Not some people, not the really bad people, every single one of us, it says. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, say but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. He made us alive when we were dead. We were in trespasses and sins, and he saved us by grace anyway. We've been pulled out of the devil's army of pawns, and we're being transformed into sons and daughters of God. We have his DNA and his blood is running through our veins. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be in the church. That's what we go out and when we outreach and we invite people to church, that's what we are inviting them into, not into a building, not into a group or to a club. We are inviting them into a relationship with God where they can stop being pawns of the devil and become sons and daughters of God, where his DNA will become their DNA, where his blood will begin to run through their veins. When somebody grows up and becomes an actress because their mother was an actress, or when somebody grows up and they make it to the NFL because their father was in the NFL, what do we say about them? We say it was in their genes. 
We say it was their destiny. We say it was, it's in their blood. Don't we say that? What's in your blood? What's in your genes? John 14, 12 says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, Jesus says, the works that I do, he will do also. I'm an actor, he's an actor. (laughs) I'm an NFL player, he's an NFL player. I touch and love and heal and restore, he and she will touch and love and heal and restore. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I'll do, he'll do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? If you love me, live a life that is restrained by the word of God. And I will pray the Father, he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Remember last week we talked about that? When you receive the Son, you receive the Christ, you actually are able to see things that the rest of the world can't see. If you don't remember, get in the app. Listen again. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And how do you know him, it says? For he dwells with you and will be in you. You know what that means? He's here. The Bible says where two or more gathered, there he is in the midst. He's with us. But what it also says is that when you really love the Lord and you keep his commandments and you accept and receive him as your Lord and Savior, he will no longer just be in the midst and with you. He will be in you, it says. It says that you will have a change in your DNA and that you will have the blood of Christ flowing through your veins. That you will be transformed into the image of Christ. So this morning when I say I am the church, there's something alive inside of me and hopefully alive inside of you that is only explainable if we're sons and daughters of God. That's the only way it can be explained. It has to be in your DNA. It has to be in your blood. You have to go from a person that didn't care about other people that, to a person that does. A person that would never sacrifice to a person that will. A person that grabbed every dollar you could that gives at least 10% of those away. To a person that was unfaithful to a person that is faithful. And the only way for those things to happen is if you are changed and transformed and something lives inside of you that did not live inside of you before. Man, the age of the church is something special. That was not available in other ages. It says that it became available when? When he ascended and he said what? I will send to you a helper. I will begin a new age. And I'll be with you until the end of the age. Can you see the things that are available to us that many of us are not reaching out for and grasping at? And why Jesus says, You have not because you ask not and you ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong things when I've told you what great things are available to you. Somebody posted a picture, and I think I I stole it off of their Facebook. Your information's public, just so you know. (laughs) But whoever it was, they posted this picture of this little girl, and Jesus is on one knee, and and he's saying, he's saying, give it to me. And, And she's this little girl, and she's saying, but I love him. And she has this little bear, bear in her hands, right? This little bear, and she, could, she, said, and she knows it's God, though. She says, but I love him, God, right? And then for us who are looking at the picture, you can see behind Jesus in his arm, he's got a giant bear, right? It's, so, it's like 10 times as big of, as her bear. And what he's saying is, you have not because you ask not, and when you do ask, you ask amiss. You want this little baby bear, and i got a giant bear for you. You want any man, and I've got the man for you. You want any job, and I've got the job for you. You want a few more dollars, and I've got financial peace for you. You're living in the wrong age. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If you have never taken a note in church before, please take this one. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Sounds a lot like what? John 3.16. There's something about these 3.16s that matter. (laughs) 
1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. It says you're the temple. The Spirit of God lives in you. It dwells in you. If you think you're wise, if you think the church is something else, he says you need to become ignorant so that you can actually get some real wisdom about the church. Your worldly wisdom is foolishness to God, he says. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Do not attach my spirit, which is in your body, to a harlot or prostitute. What you do with my body, you are doing with God. What you do with your body, you are doing with God. It's the house of God. It's the temple of God. If you wouldn't do it on this stage, why would you do it in your life? If you wouldn't smoke it on this stage, if you wouldn't give it up to somebody on this stage, if you wouldn't do it and go in those places on this stage, why would you do it with your life? It's because you don't believe that your body is the temple of God. You must not believe it. You cannot believe it or you would not do the things that you do. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. See, if the church is the building, do what you want. If the church is the pastor, live how you want. If the church is for leaders and ministry folks, then do what you want. But if you're the church, <laughs> but if you're the temple, but if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can't just behave how you want to behave. You can't go out and not come home. You can't lie and cheat and steal and fornicate. You can't do those things if you've been touched, if you've been healed, if you were far from God and dead in your sins and trespasses and he came and said, I'm willing and I love you and picked you up. How could you do those things? Even if you fell into those things here and there, once in a while, you would be broken and you would repent and you would cry and you'd be the first one at the altar to ask for forgiveness. You wouldn't be proud and boastful. You wouldn't act like it was no big deal and keep doing it. This is an important message <laughs> to start our 2017. Jesus said one of the most fearful scriptures in all the Bible for me, he said, people are going to get to the gates and he's going to say, flee from me, I never knew you. And this is why. Because of people who have defiled the temple. You're the temple. They're going to say, but didn't we go to church every week? Didn't we give? Didn't we go on the outreaches? Didn't we minister to people? He said, flee from me. I never knew you. You could do all those things without knowing me. You could do all those things without actually being part of the church. You could be in my midst but not affected by me or impacted by me, and I never came and lived inside of you. You know why? Because you thought we were still in the age where all you had to do was keep the commandments and then give your offering, and the priest would take care of it for you. But we don't live in that age anymore. We live in the age where every man and every woman is accountable for themselves and their own. He says, I, he says, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Pastor can't do it for you. Wife can't do it for you. Just trying to not act so shady because you got kids now, that ain't going to do it for you. I remember thinking that before I was saved. Oh, I, I know that there's a God and I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to wait till I get married and have kids. Now it's about me. You're the temple and the dwelling place of God. So say it with me. I am the church. I am the church. Like you mean it. I am the church. I am the church. One more time. I am the church. I am the church. I'm starting to want to go to some of your churches now. <laughs> so in 2017, what we need to do is we need to I am the church. All right? What are you going to do to your church? I'm going to I am it. What does that mean? Say it with me. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to say I am. Who's going to seek the Lord for my deliverance? I am. Who's going to hold the church to a standard of holiness? I am. Who's going to consistently help me be in my word? I am. Who's
Who's going to speak into my children's lives? Who's going to give so we can buy a building in three years and my pastor can go full time? <laughs> that was a good one, huh? I'm glad I threw that in there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Who's going to keep the women connected? Oh, some of those girls, I heard your voices get low. I don't like these girls. <laughs> Let's try that one again. Who's going to keep the women connected? Who's going to strengthen and encourage the men? Who's going to get involved in ministry? Well, praise the Lord. Don't you just, I am the church. Stop waiting for somebody else to do it. Stop waiting for somebody else to hold you accountable. You're the temple of God. He lives inside of you. His spirit lives and dwells inside of you. Stop waiting for somebody else to I am the church. You I am the church. And when people ask you, who do you think you are to be doing all these things? You know what you tell them? I am who I am. That's what God said. Exodus 13, four, or excuse me, Exodus 3, 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In 2017, people are going to ask you, and you say, you know what, I am who I am. The I am lives inside of me, and he sent me to be the church. I know that in 2016, in December, you saw me acting like this. You saw me posting like this. You saw me defiling the temple, but you know what? Things have changed. I used to be in the midst, and now he's within me. Right? I used to be one who destroys the temple, and now I build the temple up. That's what Paul said. I was the chief among sinners. I went around consenting to their death and imprisoning them myself, and now I preach the word. I have changed because the I am lives in me now. You can say the same thing, and you don't need to wait six months from now. I don't care what you were doing on New Year's Eve. I don't care what you were doing six months ago. It doesn't matter. If you allow him to come and live inside of you, you can be the I am because he'll live inside of you. You can be an influencer. You can be an impactor. People will feel like you feel when you come to church when they get around you. Here's the question. For your church, because you said I am the church, who's the pastor? Is your pastor, is his name I can't? I can't pastors your church? I really want to do this, but I can't. I really want to be used, but I can't. I really want to see God move in these people's lives, but I can't. I really want to go early, but I can't. I really want to give, but I can't. Or is the I am the pastor of your church? When you leave out of here and you say, I am the church, and you're going to have church tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and then we're going to come have all of our churches meet together for a conference on Wednesday night here. I'm the pastor of this one, and we'll be here Wednesday night. But when you come, I want to meet the pastor of your church that you've been spending Monday and Tuesday with. And I want to see if he's the I am or if he's the I can't. John 2.13 says, Now the Passover of the Jews is at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out, all of them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the changers' money. He overturned the tables and he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. Say this temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. What did it say? You are the temple of God and he dwells within your body. Give me five more minutes and I'm going to close. I'm going to close with these three things that you need to do in your church. Say my church. My church. Say I am the church. I am the church. So these three things in your church. Number one, make a whip. Everybody say it. Say make a whip. Say, make a whip. Make a whip. Good Lord. Verse 15, he said, a whip of cords he made, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. 
You have to drive out your old life from your new church. There are a lot of things in our lives that don't belong in the house of God. And stop waiting for me to drive them out of your life. And stop waiting for somebody else to drive them out of your life. You know what Jesus said? This is my father's house. It belongs to me. This is my inheritance. Who do you think you are to be in here doing what you're doing? He made a whip of cords and he started chasing them out of his house. But you're waiting for somebody to chase stuff out of your house and out of your church. That ain't what we do. It's your church. It can be whatever you want it to be. If you want money changes in there, if you want business in there, if you want um, um, relationships that don't belong in the church, in your church, you have your own church. You're the temple. Do what you want with it. I would encourage you to make a whip of cords and start whipping some things out of your life. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. He says, I fight. <laughs> These other people have churches and they just chill, but I fight. I fight and not as one who just beats the air. I ain't slap boxing. <laughs> but I discipline my own body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, I can't, I can't wait for somebody else to discipline my life. I can't wait for somebody else to beat these things out of my life so I beat my own body into subjection. I take care of my own mind. I control my own actions. When I want to reach for something with the other hand, pow, I don't reach for it. I fight and I beat myself into subjection. It doesn't just happen. Many of us are just waiting for it to happen and get better for you in church. It doesn't just happen. Jesus had to make a whip of cords and get some things out. So number one, in 2017, I pray that you learn how to braid. When we come in on Wednesday night, I want to see some spiritual whips. Don't come in here with a real whip, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I want you to come in with maybe some slashes, right? Like, dang, who did that? It's my church. <laughs> it's my church, right? This is the house of God. There's some stuff in here that, hey. Number two, be zealous. Number one, make a whip. Number two, be zealous. Verse 17 said, his disciples remembered, after he went whipping everybody, right? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Here's the definition of zealous. So if you don't know when I tell you to be zealous, here's the definition. Zealous is active, devoted, and diligent. The synonyms, words that mean the same thing as zealous are enthusiastic, eager, fervent, intense, and passionate. That's how your church should be described. Active, devoted, diligent, enthusiastic, eager, fervent, intense, and passionate. Not, I'm the church. <laughs> That's how your church should be described. It's your church. The antonyms, the opposite of what zealous is, is apathetic and lackadaisical. If your church is apathetic and lackadaisical, Believe me, the power of God, the presence of God, and the Spirit of God will not be alive there. Your church will be a place that you don't want to go. But the sad thing is you can't leave it because you're the temple. It's your church. It follows you everywhere you go. You need to be excited about your church in 2017. You should be more excited about your church than this church. You should be telling people, you got to come to the way, and it's exciting, and come on Wednesday, Bible study. There was a women's event on Tuesday. Praise the Lord. All these things are happening, but you know what the truth is? Man, you need to know about my church, the church of Carmelo Jimenez, <laughs> the church of Gary Arkelian, right? the church of Miss Peaches. Oh, it's the place to be. <laughs> Get excited about your church. Last one, number three. Right, so number one, make a whip. Number two, be zealous. Number three, know the age of your church. Not just how old you are, not how long the church has been open, but the age. Remember we talked about God? You got to know the age. What movie is it? <laughs> Prequel, original, future, somewhere in between. Know the age of your church. Verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Is your church alive? Is it in the age of the born again, the spirit-filled and resurrected church? 
or is it a church of some other age? They couldn't understand what he was saying, right? He was saying there is an age beyond the age of your physical temple. There is a church that goes beyond the church of your physical temple, and I'm going to destroy this one. If you want a building, and if you want priests, and you want sacrificial systems, if you want pictures of the real thing, then you have to be in an older age because I'm destroying all that, and I'm going to build it up, and I'm going to put it inside of my body, and I'm going to do it all in three days. That's the new age. That's the age of the church. So what church and what age is your church a part of? Are you in the church that it's inside the body of Christ, and when Christ says, I will come and live inside of you, that's why the church is in you, the temple is in you? Are you in the old age where you're just trying to figure out how to look better and be better and serve better and come more often? Know the age of your church, because if that's what you want to do, I'm sure you can do it and you can be successful. The risk is you're going to get to the gates and possibly hear him say, flee from me, I never knew you. It's your church. Matthew 16, 18, last scripture, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and, everybody say and, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I'm going to destroy the old one, I'm going to build it up in three days, and then I'm going to build the whole church, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Because it's your inheritance. I came down here from heaven, and the Father gave me the keys, which is why I can open the door to the church, walk in, and whip people out of it, because I have the keys. And then he says, in the age of the church for you, I'm going to build the church, and I'm going to give you the keys. Come on in and whip some people out of it. Everyone here, if you love Jesus, if you've given him your life, you have a copy of the keys to the church. In this church, we have cameras, and they face the door so we know who comes in and who comes out. And I'm always thinking, who has a key? Who doesn't have a key? You know how hard it would be if everybody had a key? <laughs> Probably wouldn't be that big of a deal because some of y'all don't want to go to church. But anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't mean that. But could you imagine if everybody had a key to every church? How hard that would be to manage? But Jesus says, look, if you really love me, I've given you a copy of the keys. Everything that I have, you have. Everything that I own, I'm putting it in your hands. Everything that's important to me, it's my church. I'm putting it in your hands. What an amazing thing. What an amazing way to look at 2017, that you are the church. Say, I am the church. I am the church. Stand with me. We're going to pray. We're going to receive communion this morning. <clears throat> and it's going to be the best year of the church ever. Because this morning we planted a bunch of churches. <laughs> the church is growing. Somebody say amen. amen. As we pray and as we receive communion, I'm going to do two things here in a second. I'm going to ask uh, just for those who, who maybe this morning your eyes were opened and, and you know that this isn't the Jesus maybe that you know or that you've heard of. And that you know that the Bible says uh, to test yourself. Do you know or do you not know that the Spirit of God lives inside of you? If it hasn't been confirmed, if you don't know that, if, if you don't feel that, um, don't chance it. Rededicate your life to the Lord this morning or, or ask him to come into your life for the first time. So that's going to be one thing we do here in a minute. But the other, when we get ready to receive communion, I think that this scripture should, should maybe make more sense to us, having heard the message today about you being the church and the blood of Jesus running through your veins this morning. This is John chapter 6, verse 53 and 56, and it's one of the, the I guess I would say, the saddest portions of Scripture because as Jesus said this to the multitude, later on in John 6, 6, 6, 6 66, it says, from that moment on, many of the disciples followed him no more. They turned their back on him and they went another direction with their lives. But here's why. They didn't understand what we hopefully now understand. They didn't know what age they were, they were in and what Jesus was trying to say to them and how important it was. But I hope you do this morning. Let me, let me read it to you. John 6, 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jesus was talking about the church. He was trying to tell them that you have to have my blood running through your vein to be part of the church. I have to actually be in you, and you have to be in me to be the church. Anything short of that, you can be like my disciples. They walk with me. They walk hand in hand with me. I make food and feed them. We're so close, it's unbelievable. They feel my presence and they see my power. But even for them, if I don't come in them, they're not saved. And I cannot raise them up. The life is in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The life is in me, so I have to get in them to give them life and raise them up at the last day. He's saying communion is not about bread, and it's not about juice or wine. It's about the bread of life and the blood of Christ. When you take communion here in this church, we typically do it on uh, the first Sunday of every month. But the idea, Jesus said, do this every time you meet. Do it in remembrance of me. That means tomorrow when you say grace, you're taking communion. <laughs> you're saying, I take this food in, but you're the bread of life. I take this drink in, but it's your blood that runs through my veins. If you are the church, you have communion every time you, he says, do this in remembrance of you, every time you eat anything. I pray that we begin to see the way that he sees. I pray that in Revelation where it says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I pray you heard this morning. Know the age that we live in, church, and know the gifts and the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. Bow your heads with me. We're going to pray.